Hey everybody, welcome to Performance Anxiety Side Projects. This week we welcome back guitarist turned oncologist turned guitarist Karen Hagloff. We talk a lot about the early punk scenes in the Midwest and in New York, and we also discuss her new album that just came out, Tobiano. Give her a follow on social media, check out the album and purchase it at karenhagloff.com. Give us a follow at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. And check out our merchandise at performanceanx.threadless.com. I hope you enjoy this episode of Punk and Karen Hagloff. Well, let's try this. Here we go. This is Karen Hagloff, downtown minimalist, with a new album out called Pobiano, and you are listening to Performance Anxiety. I may actually completely astound you with my lack of punk knowledge tonight. So. Oh, geez. Well. So, <laughs> I may not have that much punk knowledge to share either. <laughs> we'll see. So, yeah. I, so I figured out oh, why don't we talk about that a little bit? The scene that you were involved in back in the you know in in the what the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, I mean it was a great scene back when I started playing guitar. I was uh, in bands and everything. I was about but it was been about nineteen seventy six, something like that. Then okay. I played in. Played in a, an almost all-girl band. There were four girls and, and one uh, guy, and we played ballrooms all throughout the Midwest, like North and South Dakota, Iowa, Lower Canada, Wisconsin. Okay. We played. We were called Spitfire, and first it was uh, spelled with a P-H, so S-P-I-T-P-H. Yeah, I R E. <laughs> so you know, as in keeping with the times at the time, right? And we played you know Rolling Stones, and we played some Led Zeppelin, we played Hard Rock, and then we did like the Boys Are Back in Town when Thin Lizzy came out, and we played My Boyfriend's Back because we had to harken back to the girls' groups in the olden okay. days. Okay. And that was before punk started, more or less, or it was before that was really much um, kind of. You know, it was more of a hard rock and and uh, rock and roll type of a feeling. Then. Yeah, be- be- before it started to spread. Right. And then, uh, you know, the Minneapolis scene just started developing around then. There was a, a place called the Blitz Bar, which uh, was this tiny little, you know, kind of hole-in-the-wall bar in downtown Minneapolis where one of the bands that I went to see was called the Suicide Commandos. And they kind of turned everything on their head. I mean, they were stripped down trio and uh played everything fast and everything you know right to the point and they were probably the the forerunners of what we would have considered punk back then okay and uh, they played their own music too played their own original songs which was something new and different because we were uh, basically a cover band out in the on the hinterlands uh touring around and playing you know for all these clubs and uh and wanting to play in minneapolis but it wasn't you know it was a little competitive then we had a lot easier time getting gigs out around the you know five state area then Okay. okay and the commandos came in and uh, this whole music scene started developing and jay's longhorn 
was at first it was a kind of a jazz bar. You could go upstairs to the upstairs area and you could hear his jazz. I saw Pat Martino there many times. Ooh, I love Pat Martino. Yeah, no. <laughs> great. He was great, great, great. And uh, you know, slowly but surely our little cover band Spitfire with the PH became Spitfire with an F. <laughs> um with the uh more uh you know, kind of uh stripped down and to the point uh vibe and okay. I Traded in my platform shoes for platform sneakers and then regular sneakers and, uh, you know, bell bottoms for, for straight leg peg pants and the whole kind of vibe. T-shirts and jeans was the, was the way it was and, uh, uh, just, uh, really became very much a part of the scene there. I, uh, playing at Jay's Longhorn and then getting to know all the bands that played there. And it was really a great time to kind of be, you know, a young musician with, with no responsibilities, basically. So was it local bands that really drew you into punk or was it some of the other bands that, that uh, were, I guess, maybe becoming more well-known like the Ramones and television and bands like that? I mean, that was all kind of happening at the same time. I mean, our little scene with the commandos, the suicide commandos was, I guess they were probably early for that. Um, uh, but you know, at the same time, yeah, television was coming out and, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably all off on my ears and everything, but yeah, the Ramones were definitely around at that point as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just the scene that, that was, uh, starting to develop was definitely a homemade do it yourself scene, which was kind of, you know, punk sensibility basically. Yeah. And so that, kind of, that was one of the things that always with my little, little bit of punk knowledge was always fascinating to me is that without things like the internet and social media and and video chats like we've got now and and be, right. and, and and the ability to live stream shows and things like that the the punk movement all kind of came together in different areas all at the same time like london new york minneapolis yeah. like you're saying it is pretty amazing how did how did we do things in those days i don't know it's so there was a band that came up from Lincoln, Nebraska called The Boys, which were kind of – they had a little bit of a punk sensibility, but they were also a little bit glam, and they were kind of a hybrid of a lot of different things. And so there was definitely – they were – they came up to Minneapolis to try and, you know, become more well-known, and they played their own music. I mean, it was just – it was a really a great era for, you know, having a local scene and being able to, to kind of make a go of it on some level. When I was – really getting in my formative years of music, I was, I, I wasn't a big punk fan because to me, punk was just that hyper aggressive, um, three chord Ramones, black flag kind of sound. But as I've gotten older, I, you know, I've, I've discovered that bands like you know, television and Blondie and the talking heads were all still considered part of that genre. And it, and but they was, were, I mean, there was the whole new wave versus punk, you know, I mean, okay. like new wave, you know, which was kind of like, OK, uh, stripped down from the old wave, apparently, but yes. the, not quite punky, <laughs> but maybe punk. So there was always that, that thing, well, is it new wave? Is it punk? And it's kind of a an artificial divide looking back. But but there was that kind of. Uh, um, you know, categorization at that time as well. Okay, and I guess, you know, 30 years, 30, 40 years down the road, I guess that, that kind of gets blurred a little bit because now you see Blondie thrown in as one of the uh, originators of punk because they played at places like CBGB's. Yeah, so, yeah. 
But back in that, they, 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 I guess maybe, and I guess it goes with a lot of different musical movements and scenes is, is that you will see that, that um, pigeonholing of, of bands, well, they're not punk, they're more new wave. They're not this, they're mm-hmm. more that. And as, as it gets more and more past that period, I guess it, right. it gets more generalized. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it just fall it all lumps into a larger category after after many years go by. Yeah. <laughs> and so, how big was the scene in Minnesota? Because you hear a lot about the scenes in London and New, and New York, but you don't hear of it. You hear about a little scene more in L.A., uh, but you don't hear about places like like the, the Midwest. It was fairly it was fairly vibrant and developing. I mean, there were several. There was Curtis A. I don't know if you know Curtis A., but he was a definite. You know, played with multiple different bands, all playing original material. There was the Flamingos, which now became the Flaming O's, and they were an original band. were, you know, they were more new wave and the Suicide Commandos were more punk and there were multiple other bands that played as well. And uh, it was the Longhorn, there was the Blitz Bar, there was Uncle Sam's, there was First Street, First Street Entry after a time. Um, there was multiple bars that you could play at. And I mean, basically back in those days, I mean, I worked in a music store and I played, I was at the Longhorn almost every night if oh, I wow. wasn't some band play someplace else. And sometimes playing and sometimes just listening always, you know, it was really a place where you went to to meet the people that you wanted to hang out with or or that you wanted to maybe play in a band with or, or hear somebody play. Uh, you know, we, we opened my band, The Crackers, which was with Steve Almas, who was my band producer now, who was in the Suicide Commandos. So there's all that history. So it all goes back to... We opened, we opened for the police back then at the Long Wow. So it all goes back to Minneapolis punk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does. Yeah. So, so all right. So the a band like the police, at that time, I mean, now it's the police. You know, uh, yeah, but, no. At that time, no. They were traveling around in a station wagon loading their own gear. I mean, it was... Man. Yeah, we saw the strang the stranglers played there. This that was you know a very I like I remember that show very well. The stranglers, I mean, they were just there was like a wall of sound. They were they were a little dark, but you know they were good. Yeah. <laughs> now, so for so for, for uh, Spitfire, was it was there a a gradual transition to punk from a cover band, or was it just like? You heard it and you're like, all right, we got to do this. Was it? Was it? A- I mean, it's always a little bit of that. I mean, there was a little bit of a personnel change. You know, somebody's moving out to California and somebody you now doesn't want to play this. Or you know, there was a, I, one of our first singers and guitar players besides me. They did not want to play. You know, things that they thought were more poppy. They wanted to play more Rolling Stones. Then they left, and so you know, there's always that. There's always. Um, differences of opinion that sometimes lead to splitting of members, which then leads to different, you know, pathways taken. Okay. But uh, yeah, after after the downtown Minneapolis scene more or less got started, then it was like, you know, we want to change this up. We don't want to be a cover band. We want to, you know, play original material. And, and uh, I like this new sensibility. And it's great to walk around in sneakers instead of platform shoes. And, 
there's a whole the whole fashion plus music kind of thing. Okay, you know, and that makes sense too because that, that that was part of the, of the punk ethos was that anybody could get up and do it. You know, you just you could yeah. walk up on your jeans and t shirt and and be in a band. That was it, and you could play three chords and you could be in a band, and you know, you just had to want to do it and you had to you know mean it or believe it, and people did it. And I mean, it just you know took it to the to the level that well. Why can't I do this? Why shouldn't I be able to do this? And I, I appreciate that. Yeah. And you, so you eventually left the Minneapolis scene. At what what time was that? You went, you ended up going to New York. I came to New York in 79. So it was pretty early on with a, you know, kind of a power pop punk type of a band. I mean, it was the Crackers, Steve Almas's band. He was the person who wrote the material. Um, pretty stripped down kind of vantage point into, into pop, but you know, power pop and you know, punk informed it as well. Okay. And then, then you end up, you end up playing with uh, Reese Chatham for a while. downtown minimalist which i still am <laughs> still a downtown minimalist and did that grow out of out of the minimal the minimalization maybe the, of punk yeah i think so i mean i think you know i mean back when i was in the cover band and i was you know trying to match uh, jimmy page's licks or joe perry's licks and then you know then the clash came out and it's like well this this is just as awesome, if not more awesome. I mean, they're all awesome, but I mean, it's a whole different way. And it's like, well, I started to strip down my approach to guitar as well. And uh, that very much fit in with minimalism and, and downtown kind of, you know, the noise bands. And, and uh, they don't sound like noise to me. They sound like, you know, moving kind of walls of music. And, uh, you know, that's where I met Robert Poss and, yeah. and them and that whole stuff. So, and of students, and that you know, it all kind of, it kind of makes some sort of sense. I think if you look at it, yeah. Yeah. wall of music. That's a perfect way to describe Reese Chatham's music. Dude, that that yeah, it is. It's that, like never thought of it like that, but that's that's the perfect description. Yeah, yeah. Downtown minimalism is is uh, yeah. I, I, those were great days too. I mean, there felt like there was a lot of. Uh, a lot of excitement and, and energy in, in that scene. Yeah, and that was uh, the time where punk was still pretty big in New York at that oh, point. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, there was definitely you know, overlap in all of it. Was there a big punk influence when you joined Band of Seasons? I wouldn't necessarily say that. I mean... There's still a big do-it-yourself, a DIY influence, and so that part of ethos of, of punk is, is probably part of things as well. Okay, yeah, because I noticed that with, with, with so, you know, Steve Albini's group, and you know, I mean, kind of we toured with them once in his band Rape Man, and uh, you know, 
I wouldn't call that punk, but it's certainly informed by it. And, uh, you know, I really like that music as well. Because I always thought of Band of Susans more like avant-garde than a punk band. I would say so, yeah. I mean, you know, they're definitely, I would say the, the song structure is definitely more complex. and, and uh, Yeah, well, Band of Susans would have songs that are, you know, six, seven, eight, nine minutes long, or punk. Well, you know, <laughs> whatever amount of time you need to get what you have to say said. That's right, that's right. More uh, punk. Songs are typically a lot shorter, so that's I guess maybe yeah, a couple minutes is pretty mad. Yeah, <laughs> pretty long at two minutes, you know. Yeah, well, you know, you got to do all that, you know, that down picking. That 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 wears your forearm out. Yes, it does. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> then, and um, some people who maybe haven't heard your first episode on this uh, on this podcast may not know that you went from punk rock to. Avant-garde art rock to oncology, which is quite a shift. Yeah, a little bit of a stretch, but really, <laughs> it, it, you know, the two things are are kind of uh, melded together through restaurant work. I mean, that's the whole, that's the glue that goes <laughs> together is restaurant work. It, that holds so, everything together. Yeah, so it's like you're coming along and you're a musician, and it's like, oh, rent is due, and then okay, restaurant work. <laughs> <laughs> Restaurant work is 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 the maximum thing that you're doing, and the music is way down here. And then the restaurant work is like, okay, I don't think I can be in restaurants forever. What should I do? Oh, I guess I'll go be a doctor. Yeah. Well, it wasn't quite that simple, but but the restaurant work is what what holds the two things together. That, that's crazy. And if if uh, we we went into great detail on that on your first appearance on this show, so. I don't think we need to revisit yeah. the entire thing, but you because I don't of, think so because, because of the med school break and the career, you took a quite a, a break from recording, and you've just That's recently come, yeah, and you've just recently come out with your third full length album, and yeah. you had an EP a few months ago, mm-hmm. uh, Palomino Steady Rockin', which I loved, thought that was fantastic. Thank you, thank you, and the new album. Tobiano is it's I, there's definitely a, a an equine theme running through these two releases. Yeah, there's some you know there's a little bit of an equine theme, but not. I mean, the title is because Tobiano is a type of uh, color pattern of uh, a horse, you know, a black and white horse or two color horse, and I think it's appropriate because there's a lot of variability in some of these songs. I mean. The first one is pretty hard hitting, Tobiano Twirl. The yes. second one is like is a country song, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> that's kind of where I go with all of this. Yeah, I, well, and that's one thing that I, that I, one reason I wanted to talk to you about the the punk scene was because I definitely hear some punk influence on on Tobiano Twirl and Favor Favor. But now that now, favorite favor is really cool because right in the middle of it you get this weird melodic shift and it's it's it doesn't sound punk at all. No, I call that the Joni Mitchell section myself. <laughs> that's a good description it's of it. Literally, that's like okay, this is the Joni Mitchell section, and then we're going back to the you know 
That's the kind of the, the, you know, kind of thoughtful, hmm, you know, what am I thinking in my mind, Joni Mitchell, kind of ethereal section. And then it goes back to. What's well, really cool is really unexpected. I, was, I wasn't prepared for that at all. And it hit me like, because I was actually at my day job <laughs> listening to the album. And I'm, I'm, you know, sitting there doing my job, bopping along to the music. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, wait, that's different. That's the same song. <laughs> and it was really cool. I love when when musicians will do things like that to just kind of make sure you're paying attention. Yeah, well, thank you. You you got where <laughs> I was coming from then with that. Well, is is punk still a big influence in your songwriting? Well, I think punk is kind of, you know, if it weren't for that background, I don't know if I'd be doing music again. But I think, you know, there's a lot more do-it-yourself ability these days and that having done it before i mean even the ability to you know develop podcasts or put out your own music all of that you know is somewhat related i think so i think having the idea that well i i can just do this i don't know why i can't do this and then going ahead and doing that i think that it still informs today just like it did then Okay. And kind of even even like, you know, while a lot of people told me I couldn't go to medical school, but I was I managed to do it. You so, did. It. So there you go. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of things that you can take from that is like, you know, well, I don't care what others say. I'm just going to do what I think I want to do. And I'm going to, you know, be, I'm going to make a, a success out of it in whatever way I can. Well, Tobiano is fantastic. And I love that uh, the title actually works really well with all the different sounds in the album. I, th- I thought it did. I thought it did. I'm, I'm pretty happy with this record. I think it, it came out pretty well. I, I, I was listening to it for the past couple of days. I, it's been fantastic. Um, Humbled and Chasing sounds has really cool country tinges to it. Um, yeah. Now, I'm going to tell you, because of you, Definitely sounds like it could be a Band of Susan song. It sounds like Robert Poss had a little hand writing that one. Well, as a matter of fact, he wrote the whole thing. to Band of Susans. This is my favorite Band of Susan song. I always wanted to cover it, and so I did. And I emailed him, you know, like last year, said, hey, Robert, do you mind if I cover a band, you know, because of you on uh, on this next record? And so, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I've been waiting to do that song for since I played it back then. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fantastic. It's really, really, I mean, obviously, because... You can pick up without even, and, and to be honest with you, I love Band of Susans, and I, I, I didn't make that connection at first until you said, and it's, it's really, it's one of the standouts to me on, on the album. Oh, great. Yeah, because, I, yeah, I, I was pretty proud of how, how it turned out. I mean, you know, I, I love the way you, you used to do it in the Band of Susans, but I think this is a different spin on it. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that song, but you can find it on YouTube, like the Peel Sessions version and all that. Yeah, I, I do. And, you know, to be honest, it's been a while since I've listened to some of the old Band of Susans, so it, it, that's, it didn't click immediately. So in front of the, uh, the listeners, you were on the, the Love Agenda album and – you know, which is considered one of the classic Band of Susan's albums. It's it's a fantastic 
fantastic listen. Now, I have a question for you. Now, was this, were any of the songs recorded at the same time as uh, Palomino Steady Rockin'? Um, yeah, actually, it's kind of all were in the same time frame. I, well, not exactly, but uh, yeah, there's some overlap there, definitely. And it just seemed like the Palomino Steady Rockin' little EP, those songs kind of fit together and... Uh, and uh, these ones fit together in a different way. Is it the same band lineup for all the songs? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, the, the same drummer, Charlie Roth, and uh, you know, mainly Steve on on bass. I play bass on a couple of things, and Charlie plays bass on a couple of things. And then uh, um, we got uh, Crispin Q in to play saxophones on on one, and we got. Um, John Grayboff to play pedal steel and uh, some great singers came in, uh, Liza Colby and Cheryl Marshall and uh, Leanne Smith to do some background vocals. And, you know, so a little bit expanded compared to before, you know, in terms of additional personnel. But well, it it all works really well. It's it's got so many different sounds, but it's very cohesive and it's just it's a really fun listen. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad you think so. Oh, yeah. And it was produced, like you said, by Steve Almas from Suicide Commander. And so the, you, you got your Minneapolis connection, Minneapolis punk connection there. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. So, and, and I, I really do like what you said about you just deciding you wanted to do it and just saying, why can't I do it? Let me, let me do it. And, and just doing whatever songs you wanted to do, right? You wanted to write a song that sounded a little more country? You did it. Yeah. One chase them from one last go round. News of our antics is all over town. Folks keeping score don't even think twice. They've named me the bad guy and I just don't play nice. Oh, it's not like nobody, can, nobody can stop me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, I, I guess, yeah, that's another little touchstone to, to the punk ethos is just do it yourself. Do what you do it the way you wanted to do it. Yeah, so, I think so. I, and I'm really enjoying the album. I know my wife's enjoying the album. Uh, where can people find the album if they want to buy it? Well, if you wanted to buy it, it's on iTunes. Or you can actually get a copy of it at cdbaby.com or on Amazon. And then it's, I believe it's streaming on Spotify as well. If you just want to take a listen. So. Now, are you going to be promoting the album with touring or are you staying local you know, in New York? I'd love to do that, but I have a really hard time putting any time together away from work right now. But uh, I'm hoping to play a few gigs in um, in New York area, you know, over the summer. So well, let's be stay tuned. <laughs> let you know. Where can people find out this information? Can they follow you on social media or is there a website? Oh, yeah. You can Instagram and uh, Facebook, definitely. Karen right. Hagloff and both. That's fantastic. All right. Karen, uh, this is kind of a short episode. Um, I know it's a Friday night and everybody – you're in New York, so I know there's like a billion things to do. So I'm sure – Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm just such a social butterfly. <laughs> Maybe you got some more songs to write. Yeah, I think I'll go write another song. There you go. Do something a little reggae or something. This yeah, time. maybe. You know, maybe a dub version of something. <laughs> okay, thank you so much for coming on again. I really do well, appreciate thank it. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. I really appreciate it. Oh, you. Anytime you want to come back on, we can talk more punk. We can. Well, talk- I'll come up with. Some, we'll think of some topics. We'll we'll discuss horses or we'll discuss. Yeah. You know, 
whatever. Yeah, you could teach me a little bit about horse riding because I haven't ridden a horse in 20 years. Oh, we can talk horses. Then. <laughs> That's our horse riding experiences. You can tell me why you haven't ridden a horse in 20 years. Oh, I can tell you that right now because the last time I rode was with my cousins down in Alabama. They didn't have a saddle. I got on it and the horse just took off. Ah, there you go. So yeah, that, that I horse was, didn't want you riding. No, I was doing like 20 miles an hour grabbing the horse's mane, holding on for dear life. So that, that was the last time I rode. Okay, well, we'll have to talk you off the ledge on that one. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd do it again. I, I would definitely do it again. But not, I mean, not not the uh, bareback at 20, 30 miles an hour thing. But No, you, you know, you go for a saddle this time. And, yeah. You know, a western saddle where there's a lot of, you know. Do well, a little, I'll do a little more prep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, thank you so much for coming on again. I really do appreciate this, uh, the extra little uh, time you've given me. Thanks, Mark. Hundreds of papers prove your importance. Relevance to the cutting edge. Policymaker, I'm Hundreds of papers. Hundreds of papers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.